What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked on Dolphins. Today is Friday. Friday, indeed. May 6, 2022. Today on the show, it's power to the pod, which means it's your questions, your topics, your hot takes. You name it, we're getting into it today on the show. Plan accordingly. Bring the heat. Locked on Dolphins. Fins up. Let's get after it. You are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, host here, Locked On Dolphins. It's Friday, May 6th, 2022. Power to the pod. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen in or watch if you're on the YouTube channel of the day. And uh, I'm excited to get into another episode where you guys do all the heavy lifting. And I just kind of show up and, and talk my way through whatever it is that you guys want to talk about. But before we get into questions uh, from the reviews over at Power of the Pot, uh, did want to touch on a, a report that the Dolphins did have a visit in free agency from running back Sony Michelle, a former first-round pick of the New England Patriots in 2018. This is a player who has seemingly been on Chris Greer's radar for quite some time they were interested in him last year the the rams ultimately traded for him from new england uh that in large part to avoid him hitting the waiver wire seemingly and uh, miami probably would have added him last year given the struggles that they've had in the ground game sony michelle uh has played in 55 games throughout the course of his nfl career he was the 31st overall pick in 2018 and uh per touch productivity has kind of been the hard part for Sony in his game. And, and I do think from a dynamic athleticism perspective, that's kind of uh, the struggle that exists with him. Uh, four and a half yards per touch for his career, 4.2 yards per carry, but that was boosted on uh, an effort in 2020 that featured 5.7 yards per carry. Uh, his yards per touch from scrimmage, including receptions throughout his four seasons in the NFL, 4.5. 3.9 on 259 touches, which is the only season he's gone over 1,000 yards from scrimmage. Uh, 6.5 on only 86 touches. He missed half the season. And then 4.2 last year uh, with the LA Rams. Uh, of course, I don't think the Rams intended for Sony Michelle to have 208 carries for 845 yards last year, but Cam Akers went down. Uh, Daryl Henderson's been kind of banged up in and out. But I guess that's where, if the Dolphins did ultimately decide to add Sony Michelle to the mix, uh, you'd find a little source of inspiration that he was productive in a Rams offense last year that has some parallels given the the McVay-Shanahan-McDaniel relationship that exists there. And, and stylistically, they're, they're a little different. But um, Sony Michelle had a productive year this past year. Uh, his yards per game, uh, he's always kind of been a volume player when he's played. Uh, rushing yards per game, 71.6 as a rookie, 57, 49.9, 49.7. So this would certainly be a welcomed addition in my mind because, yes, Sony Michelle is not the most dynamic running back. Yes, Sony Michelle has struggled with per-touch efficiency. But Sony Michelle is something that the Dolphins currently, in my eyes, do not have, and that is kind of the heavy hitter in the running back room. 5'11", 215 pounds. You foil that with Chase Edmonds and his receiving ability and, and the fact that he is a little bit more dynamic with his cuts. 
And uh, obviously Raheem Mostert with the speed that he has to get to the corner. And even the incumbent guys, uh, you think about Miles Gaskin and Savan Ahmed, those guys are not 215, 220 pounds. And that's where I think Sonny Michel would differentiate himself. Uh, I think his addition would really finalize this running back room as far as having a little something for everybody. And, uh, you know, Sony Michelle had 21 receptions last year on 33 targets as well. So he's a, a reasonable pass catcher out of the backfield. I think all of those things combine. And I can officially say I am pro signing Sony Michelle. You're not signing him just like we talked about with Melvin Ingram and just like we talked about with Akeem Hicks and Carlos Dunlap. You're not signing him with the intent of him being your featured back. And the economics of any deal would reflect that. Uh, but if you got into a pinch like the Rams did last year, which Sony played 17 games but started seven, you can give him the ball as a primary ball carrier and understand he'll get reliable yards. He's going to hit singles. He might hit some doubles. He's probably not going to hit any home runs for you. Uh, but that's not the worst thing for a Dolphins running game that was striking out looking and slow rollers to third, uh, which is what the run game equivalent was last year relative to singles and doubles. So uh, I'll be interested. I, I believe he has one more free agent visit this week. Uh, I will be watching this very closely, and I am actually kind of finding myself hoping that Sony Michelle is somebody that they bring in to add uh, another layer to the running back room. We have some questions courtesy of reviews of the show. And with that in mind, we're going to dive right in. The first one that I wanted to get to comes from Wing Sauce. Wing Sauce. Married to a Bills fan. Wing Sauce, no less. I appreciate that. Really appreciated calm, collective takes on everything. You've helped me learn more about the draft than just big names in the first round. My question to you is this. First and foremost, thanks for watching and listening. What is a Dolphins blooper that always stands out to you like the Jets have the butt fumble? Miami has similar infamous plays that stand out. And I am curious to know which one you think is the funniest, most heartbreaking, etc. Boy. Um... I think you have to go with the uh, Garo Yepremian blooper in the Super Bowl, right? I mean, we can look back on it and smile because the Dolphins won the game. Um, and, and maybe that's a cheap out because I was negative 16 years old when that play happened. Uh, but Yepremian's blooper is the one that whenever I think of like, oh, yes, bad, sad Dolphins plays, um, I don't mind because it has a happy ending. Uh, I think about, geez, the John Beck pass deep in their own territory against the Bills that the ball popped straight up and the Bills guy caught it and ran it back in for a touchdown on like a, a backwards pass uh, that popped straight in the air. That one pops to me in a bad way. Uh, and as far as an off-the-field blooper, I think about Cam Cameron trying to sell everybody on Teddy Ginn and his family, and he's going to be a great returner for you, and you drafted him ninth overall. Those are some of the ones that on and off the field stick out to me. Uh, so thanks for for uh, trying to get me a little Joe Philbin queasy here to, <laughs> to start the podcast. Um, next one comes from J. Deer LV. Um, 
question, other than the obvious short-term success of the 2021 Bengals, why do you think Joe Burrow is a media darling while Tua is viewed with skepticism? I thought they were similar level prospects with arm talent limited coming out and thought their rookie years were similar. Jeremy. Uh, I, I think the path for Joe Burrow coming onto the scene versus that of Tua, uh, timing is everything, right? So Joe Burrow plays a different style of football than Tua does. And I think you, you see that with his aggressiveness in one-on-one situations, uh, his willingness to throw consistently into 50-50 ball territory. Um, and that's not to say Tua is not capable of doing those things, but it's not been an area that he's been able to showcase. But I think about Joe Burrow going into his national championship season at LSU versus Tua. And, and I think a lot of the perception around these two players, and there's no question Joe Burrow had a phenomenal season last year. He was one of the best players, best candidates for comeback player of the year. He was like top five MVP candidate last year. But the perception of these players, I think a lot of it was forged back in college, back in 2019. Uh, because Joe Burrow entering that season was a fringe draftable player. He was. I mean, go back and read any set of quarterback rankings from before that LSU championship season start. And Joe Burrow was a early to mid to late day three guy in the same way that Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray were perceived as fringe NFL quarterback prospects before their respective final seasons. And then Joe does what Joe did, whereas Tua was on this pedestal the entire way. And what happens when you are kind of a prodigy like that, and I see it quite often in the draft process, is people get bored with you, people start poking holes in your game, people start oh, overly analyzing what you are and are not capable of. And I do not think necessarily that Tua Tungvaloa um, has been given that opportunity to showcase optimally what he's capable of. The difference between Tua and Joe at the NFL level is Joe Burrow has had some many of the same protection issues that Tua has, has, has had to deal with. Joe has had as well. The difference is Joe has a bunch of really good receivers and has had more success playing through that than what Tua has. Uh, and, and if Tua is able to improve, obviously now that Tyreek Hill's in the picture and Cedric Wilson's in the picture and the running game should be better and a different style offense as compared to whatever the hell they were running last year, um, maybe that gap can close. Uh, I, I think you have a fair point, Jeremy, in talking about the arm talent of Joe Burrow. is not like He's not like a Justin Herbert or a Josh Allen type. He doesn't access the entire field I think he's probably a little bit more, has been a little bit more proficient pre-snap, understanding when he's hot and then having the right answers to those questions. But some of that might be system-oriented for Tua, too, as far as why that we haven't seen that manifest itself. So um, I, I think the scheme change in the system will be helpful. Uh, obviously, Burrow playing with Joe Brady, and Joe Brady had this uh, really big aura around him about playing an empty and playing an empty, you know, requires a lot of the quarterback. And I think Joe Burrow being groomed in that empty protection system that LSU uh, implemented during that 2019 season uh, has kind of helped prep him for some of, of what he's had to deal with uh, at the NFL level as well.
It's a good question. There's a lot of layers there. And there's probably if I sat down and thought on it for two hours, I'd come back with a bunch of other stuff that I didn't touch on here. Uh, but that that's kind of the first couple places that my head goes with that question, especially where they were perceived as players going into 2019. Listen, it's Mother's Day this weekend. If you want to get mom something she'll treasure forever with fine jewelry, visit BlueNile.com. Locked on Dolphins listeners can save $50 off $500. This podcast exclusive is only good through Mother's Day. Use code Locked On. That's code Locked On. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress free and find your forever peace at BlueNile.com. I believe it's the Kentucky Derby this weekend as well. Uh, so, a little something for everybody. And if you're trying to get in on the action, BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Uh, find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball, and the Kentucky Derby. The Run to the Roses is on. BetOnline is your confirmed and continued number one source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoff, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Finn Fan Connor, power to the pod, love the show. Kyle, do you think Donta Hightower could be a reasonable target at linebacker? I'm not inspired about the prospect of Donta Hightower because I know Donta Hightower uh, has started to, I think slow down might not be the, right word here but he certainly and I, I don't want to get my my reference uh points wrong here so uh, let me make sure i pull this up and that's the the benefit and the glory of power to the pot right is you don't know what's coming until it comes and in which case you got to be ready to think on your feet so let me make sure i get this right donta hightower's appeal aside of being a, a heavy hitter he's 250 260 pound linebacker uh, being a heavy hitter between the tackles was always that he gave you value in passing down and distances because he had the ability to rush the passer. Well, at his peak, that's what Dante Hightower did that was really special. And I'm thinking like probably five, six years ago when the Patriots were in the midst of that last block and stretch where they were competing for Super Bowl, like Dante Hightower was a high impact pass rusher in addition to what he can do in the run game coverage has never really been a strength of his but now you're starting to see the pass rush ability regress for Donta Hightower which makes him a bigger longer version of Elena Roberts so if you already have that style of player what are the differentiating factors that allows you to get excited about Dante Hightower? I don't really have them, to be completely honest at this point. Um, and, and Connor also chimes in here at the end. If the Dolphins win a Super Bowl as a result of the Tunsil trade, they need a 30 for 30 called the gas mask. Um, fun fact, over at the Draft Network on YouTube, we did do a, uh, we have a video series called Hear Me Out. And it's kind of like this conspiracy theory type what would be different if one thing changed? 
And one that we did this year was the tonsil gas mask and all of the ramifications of what could be different across, not just the dolphins, but like the entire league uh, with the tonsil gas mask. So uh, might want to check that out. It's pretty fun uh, to kind of go down the rabbit hole and, and uh, put your conspiracy theory hat on and, and how things could be different. Uh, let's go to a daily listener of the show. Love hearing you talk about the fins. Wanted to let you know, this is the best Dolphins podcast out there and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Uh, sincerely, thank everybody who likes listens to and checks out the show. Um, there are a lot of great people in this space. There are a lot of great shows in this space. And the fact that uh, the audience uh, that I get to interact with uh, is so passionate about the show and the work that I do is very flattering. So thank you. Let's see. Our next one comes from Never Forget... FTJ. Uh, listen every day. Appreciate the hard work you put in to make every day enjoyable. First, want to say I'm happy with the Tyreek Hill trade, but now that the draft is over and we see who is available, who do you think? Do you think? Oh, this is fun. I'm glad you asked this question. Draft content. Ooh. Um, do you think we would have been better off if we traded for Amari Cooper? So let's let's take a look. I actually have an I don't know if I can share this or not. Can I Can I do a screen share here? For those of you who are not, who are listening to the show and not partaking in the show, uh, you may not be able to see, but I do have this up now. Um, it is the TDN grades that were assigned for all of the prospects, their consensus grades. And then it's listed in order in which the players actually got drafted. So obviously the big tipping point for Miami is pick number 29 because that's the pick where Miami came on the clock. That pick eventually ended up, ended up in the hands of the New England Patriots and they drafted Cole Strange. So anybody who was picked before 29 is inconsequential to the Dolphins. Obviously Amari Cooper, uh, $20 million per year, so $10 million less than Tyreek Hill. No guaranteed money. Uh, I believe Dallas reworked it, or Cleveland reworked his contract. Miami wouldn't have had to do that, uh, but it cost a five instead of a one and a two. So if you look at the, the names that came off the board at 29 or later, it's Cole Strange, it's George Karloftis, it's Daxton Hill, Lewis Seen, Logan Hall, Christian Watson, Roger McCurry, Brees Hall, Jalen Petrie, Arnold Abicady, Kyler Gordon, Boye Mafe, Kenneth Walker, Andrew Booth, Wandale Robinson, John Mechie, David Ajabo, Josh Pascal, Fidari Mathis, Jaquan Brisker, Alante Taylor, and then boom, there's pick 50, which also ended up in the hands of the New England Patriots. I don't know that there's, like, I'm not over the moon personally with any of this talent that exists here as far as being potential additions to the Dolphins that are going to make the difference that Tyree killed in. Cole Strange, yes, he'd be a welcome addition to the offensive line, but you would have would have had to have drafted him at 29. Karloftis, Mafe, Ebikati, yeah, like these are valuable pass rushers. The wide receiver crop is washed at this point already. It was washed at 18. Um, and then immediately at pick 50 was Tyquan Thornton, a wide receiver. And then you get Cam Jurgen, so that would have been another potential interior offensive lineman that you could have pulled into the fray. A couple wide receivers, Pickens, Pierce, Sky Moore, could have been excited about either one of those. But if you, 
without knowing what the Dolphins board looks like, it's kind of difficult to project what these two picks would have been. But just put yourself in the shoes of like, okay, based on where players predictively or actually got picked, would you rather have Cole Strange and Sky Moore or would you rather have Tyreek Hill? And I guess you, you'd have to include Amari Cooper in, in that hypothetical. Would you rather have Cole Strange, Sky Moore, and Amari Cooper? Or would you rather have Tyreek Hill and Eric Azucama? As just like a, a very elementary way to present the information. Amari Cooper is a really, really good route runner. But the speed dynamic and the run after the catch benefit that the Dolphins are going to get from Tyreek Hill, like, I think I'd rather just pay the extra $10 million. That's me. My opinion. Feel free to disagree. Uh, Fanatic1972. Thanks for the time and effort you put in every episode. You do a fantastic job. Oh, we're going to have to do shirts. We're going to have to print shirts with that, I think. Uh, Benjamin. Love having your podcast listen every day, uh, driving into work, 4 a.m. Pleasant surprise when you get them posted the night before on occasion. And passive-aggressively guilt gaslighting me. I used to get them out a lot more the night before. Uh, hopefully, with draft season being over, I can kind of get back into that routine. But thanks for listening, Ben. Uh, is there a position left that we need to address in free agency after the draft, or would you be comfortable rolling out this team for week one as it now stands? Out of curiosity, who would you have taken with each pick of the draft if you were the Dolphins based on who was on the board and do you think we made the right college time with who was available? Okay. Um, so we kind of touched on that that back half, uh, and we will kind of do the the full deep dive at some point as far as like if I were on the board with each pick, I would have picked X. Uh, we will do that at some point. Uh, but as far as this roster as it currently stands, knowing who's out there, I would probably make some moves and take advantage of the salary cap space that I have with some $20 million at my disposal. But I don't think they have to do anything right now. Uh, I look at a lot of the depth that exists on the offensive line with the new additions, uh, with the players who are positionally flexible. Look at the wide receiver room and the tight end room. Maybe running back, and we I know we mentioned Sony Michelle for about the first four or five minutes here at the top of the show. Um, as a different kind of, of ball carrier to be added into that mix. But obviously you have two and Teddy Bridgewater, seventh round pick at Skylar Thompson. Like offensively, I think you, you have a lot to like. You have upgrade opportunities available to you. Um, but I don't think you need to do anything. And the fact that they, they managed to get an inside linebacker here in the draft with that third round pick, I think that really allevi alleviates that immediate pressing need that you had on defense. So I would not... I would not be distraught if the, the roster today is the roster that they go into final cuts with at the end of August. Before we go any further, I would be remiss to not talk about our friends over at Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. These things are high in protein, high in fiber, low in calories, low in sugar. They have 100% chocolate on all of their bars. You can visit BiltBar.com right now. And use lo promo code LOCK15 and save 15% off your next order. That's built.com. Promo code LOCK15 to save 15% off your next order of the world's most delicious protein bar. It's island time. First, we want to say congratulations on great work for your draft coverage over at the Draft Network. Thank you very much. Uh, it was a very, very uh, large team effort. We had a, a great group of people 
scouting team, content team, social team, video team, production team, all of it. Uh, was was wonderful. We spent three days and 17 hours on camera. <laughs> uh, and I was in a hosting chair for that. Uh, so that was uh, a labor of love, but we were very proud of how it came out. Um, question for you is out of the UDFAs, the Dolphins signed. Who do you think shows the most promise or has dot, 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 the greatest chance of playing meaningful minutes for this team? Mm. Let me make sure I get the full list up and one that includes Rome McKinley. So I know I got, I even got a five-star review of the show that said no Rome McKinley on the UDFA pod. Uh, so we, we covered our bases with that earlier this week. We did, we did touch on him. Um, but I want to make sure I have the whole list up here. I think I'm most excited about the potential that comes with Tanner Connor from an athletic profile perspective. Uh, I think Braylon Sanders as a vertical receiver can, can potentially move the needle for you a little bit, but I would probably go with Zaquandre white at this point, uh, unless they go out and get themselves do get themselves another running back. I think Zaquandre white has the potential to be that kind of player that we've been talking about the Dolphins not having in the backfield. Uh, so that's where my gut goes. I know Kellen Deesh, you know, from an athletic profile perspective, uh, certainly fits the zone blocking system, but he's a little too much of a tweener for me to, to have a lot of conviction on where he will or will not end up falling in the queue. Kyle, not me, Kyle with the question. Love the show. Now that the draft and free agency are behind us, which one player besides two from each side of the ball stands to benefit most from the new coaching staff? Oh, boy. Um, Jalen Waddle on offense. The point of emphasis with run after catch, I think, will really benefit him. And on defense, I guess that that's where it's tough, right? Because you brought back Boyer. I'm going to go with Jalen Phillips because I think Jalen has had the most room upward to grow based off of his physical profile, based off his rookie season, based off what he has the potential to be. And especially when you consider Jalen uh, was somebody who uh, spent some time away from football before he came back with Miami in 2020 uh, with the Hurricanes program. Uh, so I'll I'll call out Jalen Phillips, and it, that's a little bit less to do with the coaching staff, a little bit more based on those, the ceiling that he has as a player. Chad, we got a couple more. Uh, know how much you love special teams. Big fan of the Morstead signing. I think he's one of the sneaky best additions we made, but what's going on with Jason Sanders? Have we heard anything about him? He was excellent in 2020, but disappointed last year. I'm curious as to how you think he will improve this season. Lastly, who do you think is our primary kick and punt returner? Heard whispers of Waddle and Tyreek. While that would be electric, I think they should stick to offense on the, to avoid unnecessary injuries. I'm a wait to get into the kick return, punt return stuff until camp. You gotta, you gotta let me see who's fully in the running for that before I make a commitment one way or another. Uh, I do think there is probably some teeth to the conspiracy theory uh, that the change in holder impacted Jason Sanders in a negative way. 
I know Joe Marino, who does Lockdown Bills. He does Draft Dudes with me. We're like super best friends, despite the fact he has terrible taste in football teams. Um, he talked a lot about Matt Hawk and how good he was as a holder last year and really made a large point of emphasis about that specifically while being not a good punter. So I think you want Jason Sanders to be better. Let's, let's make sure uh, the holding situation is not Michael Pilardi. And I think whether it's Morstead or the backup quarterback or Skylar Thompson, whoever else, I would assume it's going to be Thomas Morstead. Uh, I think that will help Jason Sanders get back to his uh, top form. MK, uh, defend for life, asked of the UDFAs, which one do you feel like has the highest ceiling and the best chance of making the final roster? It's Daquan White, which we mentioned already. So uh, that is going to put a bow on today for us. Really appreciate everybody who checked out the show, the stream. Really appreciate everybody who checked out the podcast. Fins up. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Kyle Krabs, thanks as always for watching and listening. Make it a good one. We'll talk to you on Monday.